Today marks the launch of the My Perfect Console Patreon. There are all sorts of benefits to becoming a Patreon supporter. You will, for example, receive guest announcements exclusively long before the general public. You will have the opportunity to pitch questions to select future guests and download bonus episodes in which guests answer those questions. You have the chance to vote in the My Perfect Console Best Console of the Year knockout competition starting later in 2023, in which you, the listeners, will crown the very best console of the year. Lots more to come to the exclusive members-only My Perfect Console Community Lounge, where you can meet other listeners, and, of course, at some point, the chance to purchase a mug or a sticker, something like that. Head to patreon.com forward slash myperfectconsult and get involved. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hello and welcome to My Perfect Console. I'm Simon Parkin and in each episode I invite a guest to pick the five video games they would like to immortalise on their very own fictional games machine. Perhaps it was the first game they received as a birthday present or the one that so obsessed them it caused them to fail their exams or maybe it was the only thing that got them through a difficult breakup. Games, a bit like songs, often become powerfully attached to a particular moment in our lives. When we return to them, they can become warp points to the past. So join me, Simon Parkin, for my perfect console. My guest today is a French-Moroccan political journalist and author based in London. She grew up in Nantes on the west coast of France, then moved to the UK in 2009 to study journalism at the University of Westminster. 
After graduating, she freelanced for several broadsheets, then joined the Evening Standard as a political diarist. In 2016, she became the media and politics correspondent for BuzzFeed News, where she broke stories including the UKIP leader Nigel Farage's meeting with WikiLeaks founder Julian Assange. Since leaving BuzzFeed, she has become a prolific freelancer and the author of three books, 2019's Haven't You Heard? A Guide to Westminster Gossip and Why Mischief Gets Things Done, 2021's Honourable Misfits, A Brief History of Britain's Weirdest, Unluckiest and Most Dangerous MPs, and most recently, Escape, How a Generation Shaped, Destroyed and Survived the Internet. She's also an eager player of video games and has completed The Legend of Zelda Breath of the Wild without dying once. Welcome, Marie Leconte. Hello. That was a very long, my God. It sounded like I was listening to my mother here, but um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> is she a big uh, big supporter? Oh, no, she, she is. I think uh, the entirety of Morocco is aware of the fact that I have written books now. Um, I don't know if she's managed to work that, you know, with like, maybe the national press, the royal family or something. But yeah, I think every single person in Morocco is aware that I'm an author. <laughs> well, I got that last fact about uh, Breath of the Wild. I got that from your Wikipedia, which I read today. And it also states in May 2023, Marie took a day off work to wear her pyjamas and play The Legend of Zelda Tears of the Kingdom. <laughs> now, is that noteworthy enough for the world's encyclopedia? And also, where did they get that info? Uh <laughs> So this is actually quite a funny story. I so, so I got interviewed slightly randomly by the BBC about uh, Tears of the Kingdom coming out because they, they were kind of doing a piece on the you know Zelda super fans, and I mentioned that yeah I, I'd taken the day off uh, to play, and then yeah and because it was a kind of longer chat as well, so we talked about Breath of the Wild, um, and I did say so yes I, I've done kind of like two runs of that from a fresh file. Um, and the second one, uh, kind of by accident, but I did manage to uh, complete the permadeath challenge. So I did, you know, all four divine beasts and Ganon and uh, over a hundred shrines, etc., etc., without dying a single time. And then I kind of tweeted about it and tweeted about how absurd it was for the BBC to have covered that. And then, in basically, what I thought, like what is absolutely certain, was obviously a joke. I said, "Oh, I can't believe," you know, something along the lines of, "I can't believe my Wikipedia has not yet been updated." to state that I completed the permadeath challenge. Um, and then, but literally about 20 minutes later, someone replied to say, oh no, it's there now. And I was like, oh, what have I done? And obviously I can't edit my own page. So it's just there. Uh, so I'm, yeah, I'm quite mortified, but we are where we are. That's wonderful. You have to put that in, in your blurb on the back of your books from now on, I think. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, all right. Well, listen, it's been like quite a busy few few years for political journalists in the UK, I'd say. You know, have, um, have video games provided much of an escape from all the hecticness of Brexit and Partygate and Liz Truss and all the rest? And um, what's well, so actually annoyingly, I was not really into video games um, for, for most of the kind of political upheaval years so I kind of started writing about politics full-time in 2015 yeah um but actually only really started so, so, so I, I think you know like lots of people I played lots of games when I was a kid when I was a kind of like very early teenager and like with my brother would play Soul Calibur would play lots of like Mario games etc and all the earlier Zelda games and then yeah about sort of you know 13 14 um I discovered alcohol and kissing and I was like, oh, that's a lot better use of my time, <laughs> much better use of my time. Uh, so I kind of stopped playing games for a very long time. And then what happened is that, so the first lockdown, so I, I, I live by myself. And the first lockdown, I went completely mental because I'm normally a very social and very active person. 
and suddenly I was stuck in a very small flat by myself. Um, so yeah, so generally really bad time for me. Um, and also because I think I didn't, so I think a lot of people managed to relax into it, but which I did not do at all. So I was doing an hour to two hours of exercise every day. I was getting dressed every single day, like during the entire lockdown, even, you know, when I wasn't seeing anyone, obviously. Like a good, diligent freelancer. I know exactly. What, what I think my thing was, if I don't do, sorry, I feel like I'm, I'm getting quite deep quite early on here, but 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 I think I, I did find it so horrible that I thought, if I don't stick to that very strict routine, I'm going to fall apart right, just yeah. entirely and very quickly. Mm. So I actually, yeah, again, I, that, that was probably the healthiest I'd ever been and the, you know, um, most organised I'd ever been, etc. Right, yeah. And then when the winter lockdown came, I kind of went the opposite direction, really, where I thought, no, I I, I just can't do this twice. Um, so I bought myself my first ever pair of um, pyjamas. I was about to say adult pyjamas, but that sounds weirdly sexual, when all I mean is that I'd never bought pyjamas as an adult. Right. Um, and I bought some, you know, fluffy slippers um, and uh, a projector to watch movies on. And I, and I bought a Switch. So I went to, this is quite bleak, I went to the CEX in Clapham, uh, which was doing so you, you had to stand outside because uh, you couldn't obviously go into the shop on I think the 24th of December because uh, obviously I couldn't go home for Christmas and yeah and so my Christmas present from me to me was a switch light just kind of secondhand oh wow um because I thought yeah I'm, I'm just I'm just going to be 14 um in the second lockdown that that's my right. plan handed to you by a, a man in a mask and wearing medical gloves <laughs> handing you your Christmas present that was basically it yeah it was just again incredibly incredibly bleak but yeah no but it, it was massive game changer and I think since the end of the pandemic a lot of people have talked about you know the surprising amounts of silver linings that actually the lockdowns had and blah 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 I would say that for me there were you know 95% horrible and actually you know I, I hated all of it and um and all the pandemic and everything in the isolation but video games were the one thing where I'm like, actually, that, that did kind of change my life. So I ended up playing, obviously, so the entire winter lockdown, I basically just spent gaming. So I think, what was it, 2021, at the end of the year, you know, Nintendo sends you an email saying how much you've played. And I think it was, but something mad, like 470 hours, I think, in a year, which is just so many hours. But then basically what happened is that after after lockdown ended, I just kept playing and I haven't really stopped but, you know, kind of to the extent that until actually Tears of the Kingdom came out, I'd I'd run out of it. I feel like I, I've played all the good Switch games. <laughs> like, I've completed the Switch. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, so, so that, that's a very, very long way of saying that actually politics had kind of already mostly calmed down by the time I got into gaming. Um, so, yeah. Yeah, oh, very nice. You know, we, we hear a lot about the so-called Westminster bubble in the UK, the sort of community of MPs and civil servants and journalists and all of that. What does it what does it feel to be, you know, what's it feel like to be part of that world? But also, I guess, as a French person, sort of maybe with a slight outsider perspective, is it as uh, cloistered and maybe exciting as it seems? It is kind of weird. So I think it's... Um... And again, like there's going to be, like, I realise you don't actually want to make a podcast about the pandemic, but but I think it's become relevant again. So I'm mostly like, that's mostly my experience, I guess, pre-pandemic. So it feels quite parochial, I think, is the thing. So it, it is like being in a village because you you have about what, so, you know, at most between sort of four and six pubs, which are the pubs everyone goes to. And obviously you can walk to all of them uh, and, and, you know, and you've got parliament and you've got the three to five restaurants everyone goes to so you you kind of bump into everyone all the time everyone you meet you will by definition have 
at the very least a handful of mutual friends with. If something happens, you'll hear about it again. That <clears throat> gossip travels at an incredible pace, especially you new know, thanks to WhatsApp, etc. But also just again because everyone works in the in in that very small bubble. But you know, but to the extent when I say it's a very small bubble, it, it is often really hard to get, say, MPs or you know, political journalists, or, you know, kind of people who are even more sort of bubble than I am hmm. to go for a drink or for dinner in Soho. Um, for context, for those who are listening who maybe uh, you know not not very familiar with London. It is like hand on heart, I think a 20 minute walk from Parliament to Soho. Like it is up the road. It is so close. And yet if you say to people, oh, can you can you come to this thing in Soho? They're like, Jesus Christ, like obviously not. You know, I, I didn't have my hiking boots. I, I don't have my snacks and my backpack. <laughs> so yeah, so I think that the, the main thing is that, yeah, it feels physically very small, but it's also, I think, and, and kind of on, on your point of me having kind of one foot in, one foot out. So I was definitely more, I think, of an insider before the pandemic. And I think you, you do you do kind of forget that the rest of the world exists, especially, I think, if you came in quite young, which a lot of people do. So again, I was in my early 20s when I um, started writing full-time about politics. A lot of people come in as parliamentary assistants or, you know, whatever kind of junior jobs and same that they're, they're usually in their early, mid-20s, late 20s at the latest it becomes quite easy to yeah to forget the rest of the world um, exists, but also to, to just as I know kind of like become obsessed with every little detail, every little piece of gossip, every little you know perceived slight from someone, from an acquaintance or from whoever. Um, but again, in the same way that you know I grew up in a city, but the sense I get from friends who who grew up in villages or in very very small towns, like that's kind of what happens, right? Where you know be- because you just always bump into the same people all the time, you do become really insular and really obsessed again with all the all the stuff that's happening inside so that, that that's very very much what it feels like and again since I think the pandemic was quite weird for me because because again I'm a freelancer I don't actually have a parliamentary pass so I don't work from parliament so the, the way I used to work was to kind of be the friendly neighborhood stray cat of Westminster uh, where I would go to you know I, I'd attend the opening of an envelope um, I'd go to all the receptions and the parties and a- any excuse to go to the pub in Westminster, etc. So yeah, when suddenly the pandemic happened, I was a bit like, oh, okay, the bubble has become smaller, smaller and it's definitely shut some people out. And I think since then, I've perhaps made less of an effort to get back into the kind of extent I used to be in. But, 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 but you know, in, in a way that I think of as positive, because actually the pandemic made me remember that, again, the rest of the world exists and actually... The rest of the world is quite nice. I have hobbies now, which is delightful. I didn't really used to have hobbies. My hobbies were just the pub, pub and also gossiping. You right, know? Yeah. So yeah, so, so it's it's a weird. Yeah, there's very much and a kind of yeah in and out. Um, and it, and it's it's a it's a weird world. Well, brilliant. We'll definitely come back to that. But Marie, we'll, we're going to turn to the subject of the podcast. I've asked you to pick the five video games you want to put on your your perfect. Uh, video game console yeah just t- tell me about your your first game then which comes from the early 2000s uh, what's this and uh, why do you love it oh uh, soul caliber 2 
I, I must have played that one million hours of it with my brother and my stepbrother when we were kids. I think it's just, I mean, I, I kind of picked it because it's the main game. Like if I think of, you know, what what did we play? And actually, we played tons of stuff for some reason. That That is the one game, I think, that we became obsessed with that in, in a way that a group of kids will, I think, specifically. Yes. And and yeah, and, and I still, you know, and I, I can still look at screen grabs from the game and certain characters and I get this very, like, visceral reaction from certain, you know, from some of them where I'm like, oh, no, fuck you. Like, you know, I'll just see someone and that's a character I've not seen on my screen in, like, nearly 20 years. And I'm like, no, not you. Go away. <laughs> or, oh, God, so I can't remember her name now, actually, but so one of my favourite characters, the like the woman who was quite short and, like, quite... And I think like, that's all most of the video games I play, which is maybe quite gendered. That's quite interesting. But I do quite like the characters who are quite, you know, light on their feet and not necessarily super powerful, but you get to move really quickly. But so it was that one woman who's really short. Is it Sophia? Uh, n- oh, no. Um, so the one, because I remember her, her tagline was, win to guide me. Okay. Um, her, which is weirdly still, like that floats into my head, I would say at least once a month. Right. Still, which is, which is really odd. Um, so really randomly ended up living with a friend uh, for a couple of months in 2013, 2012. Um, who had a big telly and who had a console and he happened to have Soul Calibur 2 and I do remember having some friends over and actually retrospectively it was a really weird night where because um, I, I, I really enjoy uh, hosting friends and organising house parties and stuff and I guess my specialty is just organising incredibly random themed nights so I think one themed night I had was Troit Whiskey and Soul Calibur 2 um, and that was it and it's like come to my house if you would like you can only drink whiskey and we can only play Soul Calibur 2 so yeah, for some reason, that's one of the nights I organised. <laughs> um, and, and we got sort of like riotously drunk and played that. And it was, you know, which is delightful. Like it was exactly as fun as, as I'd remembered it. Oh, so nice. Yeah. So, so I think, yeah, that, that's my the, 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 my main game of probably like the, my first phase of gaming, I suppose. Yeah. So you were playing that on, was it PlayStation 2? Is that right? It was. Yeah, yeah correct. And you said you mentioned your brother and your, your stepbrother. So was that the first console that you got in, in your... Your household in in Nantes in France. Uh, so that it was actually God. Like this feels like a really sort of hammy sitcom about reunited families or however you call them. Because I think you no. Know, so my brother and I had a GameCube, um, but my stepbrother had a PlayStation Two. And so like when my dad and my stepmom got together, we, we became a two console household. <laughs> <laughs> and but which is weird. Again, clearly that you asked me that, and, and yeah, I'd not. That's not something I'd thought about in yet yeah, again well over a decade. But weirdly, like straight away, I was like, no, oh god, PlayStation Two was not our side of the family, darling. Like we, we were a GameCube family. <laughs> But then we married into a PlayStation household. <laughs> Diversified your portfolio. <laughs> exactly. Would, uh, so y- your parents, when they were together or when they were apart, were they how? What, how did they feel about you playing games? Were they were they up for it, or was it seen as a bit of a waste of time? Oh, uh, my dad is a mega nerd, but like mega nerd. He so yeah, I I, I have because I was born in ninety one, and there are pictures of me playing my first computer game. I well, like, I can't have been much older than three, like maybe four. No, no, hang on. I'm lying. You know, so I think I was four. So my first picture of me like playing a computer game was from 1995. So that's early. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, and yeah, no, his thing, and I, I remember it like, from being a, a kid when my parents were still together, was so he loved uh, flight simulator games and even had like the special joystick thingy to play his uh, that. So yeah, that mid 90s, uh, that that was his thing. Yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, and by what was it? 
I want to say by 2001, in my dad's place, we had more computers than people. So, so again, I very much grew up in an insanely sort of like geeky, nerdy house, yeah, like yeah. household. Um, so no, so there were never. No, I feel like there were never any um, any concerns on that front. So I knew that my brother, when he was a teenager, ended up having a phase, which I think a lot of boys did, to be fair, of his generation, of kind of just playing World of Warcraft all the time. But like literally all that, I think, as far as I can tell, you know, he didn't really sleep or eat. He just played um, World of Warcraft. And I think that, that my parents did go a bit like, hmm, that is a... That is a lot of time, like a lot of time you're spending. And to be fair, like now, you know, he no longer does. And we had a chat about it and he's like, yeah, looking back, I did play a lot of Warcraft. <laughs> and we were like, yeah, yeah, you really did. We were actually quite concerned for a while. <laughs> um, but no, apart from that, it was that like, it's, yeah, very, very tech-friendly um, house. Yeah. So all fine on that front. And did you, did you want to be a writer at that time? Were you sort of had you had your sights on uh, on political journalism or any kinds of journalism? Uh, oh, definitely not political journalism. Uh, but yeah, no. So I um, I actually have quite a fun origin story, which is that when I was about seven, I so I I only vaguely remember that, but it's been told to me again uh, throughout the years. But, but yeah, I was about seven, and I went to see my grandmother, who I'm very close to, and I was like, when I grow up, I want to be a poet. I want to write poetry. And my grandmother, who's this wonderful woman, but also you know. It's, it's quite forthright, let's say. And again, I was seven and she was like, no, you will, you'll make no money from this. There's no money in poetry. Become a journalist instead because then you can write and still make money. And in that way that, you know, seven-year-olds seven, year, seven year old kind of take what they're given, I was like, yeah. yeah, seems fair. Cool, I'll do that. And then, yeah, uh, that, that's, that, that's the long story short. Um, but no, so then when I was 12, uh, so in France, uh, you in college, you have to do a one-week what bit of work experience uh, somewhere as part of school and yeah this, uh, really luckily our next door neighbors happened to be like the uh, husband was a journalist at West France which is actually the I believe still the most read uh, newspaper in France um, but a, a kind of local paper for the for Western France and yeah and so my dad uh, asked him if I could just sort of like tag along to the newsroom for a week um, and he said yes and I did that I still remember it it was really cool she was really fun like they because I was just yeah a random child but I went to do like a bit of quote-unquote court reporting so I spent a day in court no way right. um, I went to a press conference with the mayor of Not, who later became prime minister so that was quite funny they just threw me with a sort of like a reporter and it was like okay you're gonna just like follow them on their beat for the day so I did that for five days which again looking back I'm like that is quite weird but it was super fun um, and yeah, and that kind of confirmed that I wanted to write and I wanted to be a journalist. So when I was 12, actually, so at the same time, I started a blog, like just a kind of personal blog, um, writing about what happened at school and whatever. Then when I was 13, I got really into indie music. Uh, so I thought that I would turn my personal blog into a bit of a music blog. Then when I was 15, I, uh, I, I very much had, so I think like teenagers have kind of like two modes of being. So either like complete and utter self-loathing or they have the confidence of a god. Um, and I feel like I, I, I fell into the latter camp. And and, and to, to be fair to me, I was quite good. With, I identified a gap in the market and I filled it because I, so I really loved, so that, that was the yeah, kind of like mid-2000s. I really loved indie music that was, you know, overwhelmingly British. And I knew that lots of people did as well in France, but actually the mainstream French music press was not very good at, you know, doing stuff like The Enemy was doing or all the like quite fun new exciting websites were doing in Britain so I thought cool I'll just launch my own website uh, which again confidence of a god so yes yeah, so I, I did that and basically it 
ended up working really well. So yeah, by by the end, so by yeah, th- th- this sounds insane now. I say it out loud, uh, looking back. But yeah, so when I was seventeen, I was basically running this team of writers uh, across all like France, and I had people in Belgium and Switzerland. No way. Um, and I'd send them to mm. gigs to review them. Um, so I was working quite closely with uh, recording labels. So they'd send me all their releases every month, which I'd review. Uh, we did lots of band interviews and stuff like that. But also, you know, got to interview lots of really famous bands because they were not, you know, because again, in France, no one really wanted to interview them. So I could just be like, dear Block Party or like, dear Maximo Park, dear Franz Ferdinand, might I please? Like, you know, I am a child. I, I am the French music press. No, but basically that. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, so that was really fun. And again, looking back, I'm like, some of these names that, like, why did they agree? Like, why? Is that, hello, I'm an unhinged 16-year-old. Can I please drink a bottle of wine and then go ask you seven questions? And they were like, yeah, fine. That's incredible. We also did that. It was really fun. It was so fun. Yeah, I I sort of have no regrets. I mean, you will be shocked and surprised to hear that I got absolutely appalling grades at my baccalaureate. (laughs) <laughs> when I was 17, because I did not study at all in those years. You've been hanging out with all the bands. In my, yeah, in my <laughs> defence, right? And actually, that was a lot more fun. And I feel like it was exactly just as yeah, yeah. useful as, uh, as you know, studying and being at school. Yeah, yeah. Incredible. The stamina, though, of teenagers. Because, I, yeah, I, like there were nights where I'd literally go out till sort of like 5am, sleep for an hour and then go to school. And it's like, I would die now. Like I, I would literally physically die. Yeah. But anyway, so then I went to uni to study journalism. Uh, so I moved to London. Um, and yeah, and the rest is uh, kind of history. So yeah, yeah, yeah. it's been a weirdly straight line. Yeah, incredible. It really shows the power of like the right work experience at the right time, just with the effect that can have on you. So if you'd have been paired, like done your work experience with a French poet, it would have been a very different experience. Staring out of windows. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we better come to your second game, Marie. So this is from 2013. So I'm guessing, I'm guessing this is after the period of life you've been talking about. But tell us about this game. Uh, what was going on when you when you encountered it? Oh, it's Rayman Legends. Um, so that is actually that that was the game I bought um, my, my Christmas present from me to me uh, because again because I, I I'd not you know I just not played video games at all for apart from that one evening of Soul Calibur for over a decade and I you know a I had no idea if I was going to enjoy them or not and b I had no idea how much the I guess the landscape had changed because I could see people you know playing stuff like Red Dead Redemption and I'd heard all of these games and I was like that feels just way too overwhelming um you know I, I just remember being a little guy who jumps <laughs> or a little guy who fights and yeah and I used to love Rayman uh, not just because it's made by French developers um, but also <laughs> I think you know like the, the games were really fun but no so yeah Rayman Legends so yeah bought it and yeah and I loved it but I I, I became I would say quite obsessed and it's so I think what I really love about the game is that it's it's very straightforward. Like it is basically just a platformer. Like there's no meaningful story at all. You just have levels and you do stuff. And it's, you know, in some ways riffing on the early on sort of like Rayman games, but in others actually kind of innovating a fair bit. But basically, it, but it's just like the execution is perfect. So I like for a 
you know, um, for a start, like, the music is incredible. So like, the soundtrack is really, really like well made and re- well done. Yes. And uh, and you know, in some of the like, special levels as well, you actually have to play in rhythm with the music, which is really fun and really challenging. Uh, basically, when I think about it, I'm like, there is no way. If you gave me a magic wand and said, okay, actually, you you can be, you know thrown into the room of devs working on that game and you can make them change anything you want yeah i could not come up with anything like it's a very straightforward game but just done to perfection um and also yeah i i feel really thankful for it because because again that may be that there's a world in which i'd started with a different game and thought actually you know what that was worth a shot, but turns out video games are like not my thing as an adult, yeah, and yeah. that would have been the end of that. Um, so no, so I'm, I'm actually like it holds a special place in my heart. Did you know it was French when you when you picked it up on that that Christmas Eve? Uh, I feel like I did, yeah, but I, I think because again, so I did play the Rayman games when I was a kid. So right, I, yeah, I, yeah. I feel like I do, I do remember them being like, yes, this is our people's good, good, honest French games. <laughs> I'm Sandra and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Okay, so so you you say that you you were saying how you came to Westminster to study journalism there. That plan was did did you want to graduate from there and go into music journalism? Is that what the sort of plan was with your experience? Oh, it absolutely was. Yeah, yeah, and like to the extent that I can't remember where it was. I want to say maybe Southampton University or like somewhere offered a music journalism degree, which I very like. I considered doing, but then my parents were like come on like, uh, like obviously not obviously don't do that that's insane <laughs> which is fair which is fair you know, I think they were right I'm happy to admit that when they're right they're right so yes yeah, so, so I kind of just went to study journalism and I'm not sure yes yeah, so I think I definitely I definitely did want to do music journalism but also I think I was aware of the fact that life is long and you never quite know where you may end up I, I've got ADHD, which I didn't know at the time, but obviously I know now, but I've always been a sort of a very passionate person, but I'm slightly like, I just throw myself all in. So I find a new interest and I just throw myself, like my entire being into a thing until one day I get bored of it and then I find something else. Um, right, yeah. And, you know, in, in again, even though I'd not had that formal diagnosis yet, I already had a sense of who I was as a person, I think. So I already kind of knew that, you know, I was like, you know, for now, music is just my life, like my entire life. Mm-hmm. But who knows, you know, something will come along and actually, and actually, so I think weirdly moving here was what made me move away from music because it was, 
because yeah because in a way i had it quite easy and not because you know because the, there was not a music press that was super developed and especially the kind of like indie guitar music uh scene um also because you know it, it was the right time like it was the time when blogs were still quite new and fresh yeah. and people found them exciting and again and you could just email some random tour manager to be like hello <laughs> can i please talk to your band and they were like i don't really see why not sure that that was quite a special i think era like moment in time yeah um so yeah so then then that and yeah and then so I, the problem is i moved here and suddenly you know i became a very very small fish in like the largest pond in the world back when you know when, when i'd been an unexpectedly big fish in a tiny little pond and that sucked i did not enjoy that yeah um it's not fun to be a little fish um and, and yeah it also suddenly like i couldn't so i did i did blag my way into a couple of gigs when i first arrived but that was <laughs> that was mostly because i moved at 17 and obviously lots of gigs here are 18 plus um and so my thing was which again kind of a big walls move in retrospect but i was like okay what is the way to ensure i'm not going to get id'd and it's like ha if I get a VIP pass, it seems unlikely they'll hide me on top of it. So literally, like I just worked really hard to interview random bands to get in so I didn't have to buy a normal ticket because otherwise I probably wouldn't be able to go to the gig. Yeah, genius. Um, so yeah, <laughs> it, you know what? It worked. It worked. Um, and then and then what, what, what took you then into the world of politics? Because that's also a you know, highly competitive area in the UK for, for media. So that's a really random story. <laughs> it's a really random story. First year in Britain, I'm still kind of into music. I still, you know, like go watch a couple of bands playing. So I like, try to keep an eye on new bands, etc. Befriend some people. And then, yeah, so literally later that year, so the 2010 election happened to be uh, on the last day of my first year of university. And some like small London band was playing in a pub and I kind of knew the guitar player and I quite fancied him so I was like obviously I'm going to go to that gig and I said like dragged some friends along and we got incredibly drunk because obviously like end of the first year of uni and then so yeah that, that guitar guy he, he was an acquaintance uh, kind of afterwards came to see me and he was like hey so we're gonna have like a small after party at my house do you want to come yes and I was like oh well like, obviously oh my god I have never wanted anything more in my entire life and yeah, and then my friends were a bit like, okay, well, you know, you're clearly going to get off with that guy, so we'll leave you be and we'll kind of go home. And I was like, yeah, fine, whatever. Uh, so we all, you know, this kind of group of people, we go back to that um, that guy's house. But then disaster strikes in, in the form of him chatting up another woman who is not me and them spending the evening together. And I was like, ah, <laughs> that was not the plan. Um, and then, you know, and I had that moment, like, really. So, you know, when you occasionally, like, when you're really drunk, you become very clear-eyed for about a split second, like, just really conscious of everything. And I was like, oh, because I was 18, and like, I think all that crowd were in their kind of, like, late 20s. I didn't know anyone there. Um, I didn't have a smartphone at the time, so, you know, you couldn't just pop out Google Maps to see how to get home and what buses to take. Um, it was probably like 2am and yet yeah, obviously I didn't have cab money because who has cab money at 18 and I didn't even know where I was in London so I was like okay I am uh, stuck here until the first tubes and I don't know anyone and I noticed that the telly was on in the in the kind of like the back of the living room and I was like you know what <laughs> fine I'll go because I was like oh yeah god you know there's the election tonight and I'd not really been following like you know I kind of knew the names of the leaders and stuff that's probably genuinely my level and yeah, so I just grabbed uh, another bottle of wine and then I went to sit by the telly um, and I watched the election unfold. Um, <laughs> and actually, I had 
such a good time. Like I had a, honestly, I had a blast. Because again, you know, I, I I do have yeah. Like I, I am a very I'm a very enthusiastic person. So I kind of became the like political correspondent of the house party. So I had no idea what I was talking about. But I'd be like, oh well, you know, Somerset whatever has gone conservative, and everyone's like, okay, just sure. And, you know, and obviously there was a hung parliament at 2am. I did not know what that meant. By 4am, people would be like, what's going on? And I was like, well, so you see, there's this thing called a hung parliament. <laughs> um, but yeah, so I watched it. Because I remember, yes, I left the house when it was entirely light outside. So it must have been really late. Mm. And yeah, and, and that is like hand on heart, honest to God, how I got into British politics. I tried to get laid and failed. Um, like, I'm so done with indie band guitarists. I'm moving on to the world of politics. Oh yeah, and then it's great as well because the joke writes itself. Like you know, I, I just got I just got really really tired of writing about like posh obnoxious white men. So instead, I went into politics. Amazing, right? Okay, Marie, we better come to your third game then. So this uh, we have talked about this a little bit already right at the start, but this is from 2017. Tell us about this particular Zelda. Oh God, the the best game of all time, uh, Breath of the Wild. So, I, so weirdly, I did not want to play Breath of the Wild at first because yeah, so I was thinking, you know, lockdown, winter lockdown, um, Rayman Legends, and then I kind of did all the classics after that. So I did, you know, all your Mario's, uh, Luigi Mansion Three, which I will say is tremendous fun, by the way. Um, I nearly picked it for this. It is again kind of similar to Rayman, where very straightforward, but also, is there anything you could have done better? No, it's just a perfectly formed game. Um, but yes, yeah, so, so I yeah played all the classics. And yeah, all my friends kept being like, you have to buy Breath of the Wild, you have to buy Breath of the Wild. And you know, so I think I didn't want to buy it because it, it was or is uh, still like £70, which is so much money. Like that's Because mm. I think that there's a weird mental thing because a lot of the games are around the £40 mark. And I think there's something after 50 we are like, but that is just so much money. And what if I don't like it? So actually, what ended up happening was like some friends who'd already played it were like, were like listen... Do you want to borrow it? Like, do you want to borrow it? Because they, they bought the physical copy of it. Like, do you want to borrow it? Is that fine? And I mean, you know, I was just entirely blown away by it, but I could probably spend the rest of the day talking about Breath of the Wild. Like, it was unlike any other game I've played. And also, I think, in a weird way, I feel really thankful that I got to play it during lockdown because it nearly... <laughs> So, because you know, there's been so much talk recently about the metaverse and stuff like that, and it, that nearly felt like that because I didn't have a life outside, you know, like a real life. So actually, you know, I I got to live life in Hyrule, and and also, and that's the thing which I always find really hard to explain, um, because it's hard to put into words. But what I find really striking about Breath of the Wild, and again, like I'm sure lockdown had a part to play in that as well, is that when I think back to certain bits of that game. I can tell that my brain has stored those memories alongside real life memories, not mm. video game memories. So if I'm like, oh yeah, that day I was on the mountain and, you know, and there was a sunset and then I found this thing or I, you know, went down or this thing happened, I can tell that my brain is retrieving that from the real memories mm. bit of storage, not the, no, that was a game yeah. bit, that, which is, yeah, such a testament to like how 
engrossing I think the game is and it's also because again because I was still relatively new to proper gaming by then and I I did I, I did which I'm sure you know is something lots of people did of I just went head on and then I kept trying to fight every enemy I saw and I died and died and died and died and died and I'm slightly ashamed to say it took me so long to learn the lesson because the game tries really hard to be like listen you have to be patient and either, you know, hide, maybe fire some arrows from a distance or throw some rocks from a distance or hide. And I was like, no, charging I in. run and I kill. Yeah. And, but then, but yeah, but like dying seven times in a row. And I was like, luckily, I do not learn from my mistakes. We go again. <laughs> so that took me a long time. But also I think the fact that there's no order because every other game I'd played had been very much like you do X and then you do Y and then you do Z. And that took me a long time because obviously the game like the, the beginning I think Breath of the Wild that there is a bit of hand holding but there's really not that much um, and I kind of struggled with that but yeah once I got really into it I just yeah it's yeah it's even hard to talk about but yeah I just really really loved it it's a really beautiful game but also so what I will say and what I think I've not seen tons in kind of writing about Breath of the Wild is that I think one of the things that makes it especially impressive is that it's not that hard so at the beginning mm. It is very hard because you've got no health, you've got no energy, like no stamina. Uh, your weapons are terrible. Your defense stuff is terrible, etc. But like you reach a plateau, I would say reasonably quickly, especially given how long the game is. If you want to do it properly, like really, really quickly, about what 20 percent of the way in, you kind of reach that thing. You've got good armor, you've got good weapons, you've got good health, good stamina, and at that point, the game actually becomes quite easy because you know we, we've all played games before where you're like, oh my god, that boss fight. You know, I had to do 17 times before I managed it, and actually, quite quickly with Rest of the World, I did not find that at all. I could sort of kill most things or most bosses or do most things without dying relentlessly. Yeah, and you know, and, and I find it quite incredible they managed to make you know to, to make a game that is still really engaging and compelling and interesting despite not being that hard. If that makes sense, because normally like, I I do think that quite a lot of games rely maybe a bit too heavily on making stuff really hard so people play for a long time and feel like they're more invested you know i think uh, hollow knight being quite a classic example of the genre it's like did i enjoy hollow knight or was it just Stockholm syndrome from having to fight the same <laughs> fucking boss one million times because i kept getting shanked right yeah and yeah so i think the fact that it was not hard again yeah like p- played into that thing of saying actually this is just a different world i'm just living this kind of different life so no it was an absolute game changer. And then I played it again. So I um so I played it for the first time and I played so I think about 150 hours. So so I downloaded the DLC and I did all that. Uh then I gave the cartridge back to my friends. And then so I went to Venice for two months last year. Mm. And I knew because I I knew I had some friends in Venice, but not that many. And obviously Venice is not as busy as London, which is one of the reasons why I went. But I thought, you know, I'm, I'm gonna have some free time. Yeah. Uh, so yes, I played it again. And I think that second run, again, just out from a completely fresh file, was about hundred hours. Yeah. And yeah, and it was wow. uh, it was great. Um and I, I didn't really tire of it. Yeah. Um so yes, no, just again, the kind of running out of words to describe um how wonderful the game is. It is wonderful. Yes, indeed. So you you said right at the start we were talking about the the Westminster Village and how it can you know feel very villagey, uh, but I think a lot of the people in that village and this I'm including journalists in this as well can mm-hmm. sort of come from a similar background, right? It's normally yeah. uh, private school, perhaps then study philosophy, politics, economics at Oxford, and then into mm. into Westminster. And you know I suppose you're coming from 
quite a different <laughs> point of view, you know, coming from France, but also from music journalism and all that. How did you how did you have the confidence to sort of go up to people at these parties that you're going to and start talking to them? Oh, that was just who I am as a person, I think. <laughs> um, but no, more seriously, I think actually music journalism was really good training for that because mm. I, you know, because I had to interview. And actually, you know, when you think of like, fine, you know, in theory, I guess that it is quite scary to go talk to like a secretary of state or something. But then if you compare that to being 16 or 15 or 17 and having to hold your own in front of a singer or a guitarist or whatever who you absolutely love, you know, who's every song, you know, by heart, like the latter is way scarier. Like, having done both like a million times each, the latter is like so much harder because you just have to sit there and be like, oh, no, I'm, I'm a professional. Like, do I want to cry a little bit? Yeah, yeah, I do. Yeah, yeah, I kind of, you know, I could do a little cry, but uh, no, I'm going to hold my own and I'm going to ask my questions and have a bit of banter because, you know, that makes the interview better and stuff. So I think that was, yeah, that was really good training. I think maybe the foreign thing as well is uh, probably helped a bit at the beginning because, again, that you know, none of them were the kind of people um, I, I grew up with on telly and stuff. But but then, so I wonder, because that's my thing, yeah, so my proper entry into journalism was at Evening Standard Diary, which, um, so for people who don't, no, so the diary column, which has mostly disappeared now, but, but it's kind of like halfway between a gossip column, I guess, from a gossip magazine and Private Eye. So a, a lot of it is is not news by definition, but it's kind of intrigue, it, it's, isn't it? It is no exactly like mischief, and yeah, but but busy. But the way it works internally is that you so nearly all the stories we got we got from events. So you work then in the evening, you were just sent to an event, and your goal was just find a story. So I remember like the first shift I did at the standard and you know I was being sent to a book launch so it's not just politics kind of covering every, every area of kind of polite society I sent to a book launch and, and I asked my editor I was like, okay what, what, what do you want from this she was like well you go to the book launch and you come back with a story <laughs> that's such great training oh my god it is and it's properly sink or swim and you know and I went and actually uh, I didn't get a story printed in the paper the next day but I did manage to talk to like a few of the actors who were there because it's like the launch uh, of a book I think written by some cinema person and clearly she saw that I was able to talk to people so I think that that was actually really good training because you are just sent to a room and you just have to basically so people who are there you to like support their friends or talk to their friends talk to their colleagues make some friends network you have to get them away from the people they actually want to talk to and then you have to ask them questions which they don't really want to answer, but in a way that's playful enough that they'll answer yeah, them. Right, right. But on the other hand, you know, it is always events with free alcohol. Yeah, uh, which helps. It, it does. It does massively. You know, I, I did usually because I was friends with the other diarists from the other newspapers, and we'd kind of all arrive as a pack, sort of have two glasses of wine, and then we'd get to work. Yeah. But yeah, so, so I think yeah, it's a mix of you know like bats to them with fire, and again thinking back. So what was it? I must have been. Like 20, I remember being 24 and like drinking champagne and chatting to Philip Hammond, who was then, was it like foreign secretary or defense secretary? Um, and trying to, I can, but I actually got quite a good story out of him, I remember, because it was just before the referendum. And yeah, looking back, I'm like, huh, that weird life, weird life I had at 24. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, you've got to sort of get you know, compound power, haven't you? Being a younger person, being a French, so you're sort of coming from the outside and um, 
uh, and then the the modifier of alcohol can all, all help you get those stories. I mean, it, it does. In, in the UK, mm. we have extremely uh, robust, let's say, libel laws, and individual journalists mm. can find themselves in court rather than the the publication that published their reporting. Sometimes, how how aware were you of that when you were you know writing this stuff? That uh, that you know r- one wrong word in a in a gossip story could land you in a lot of trouble. Uh, actually, it was fine because, um, and I think that's one of those things I can get a bit spiky about, where people assume that, you know, especially other journalists, I think there was a lot of snobbery against diarists and diary columnists. They were like, oh, well, you know, you just get sloshed and you write gossip, right? You know, you don't do proper journalism. It's actually, you know, I, I, I'd like to see you try, like, A, to get the stories and B, again, you know, print them in a way that will not get you sued. But no, I mean, I think the slightly boring answer is that, yeah, we had, um, so Joy Lodico was my editor at the time, who's a brilliant, brilliant woman. Uh, who I'd kind of trust with my life. So I think A, having actually like a grown-up there who knew what she was doing massively helped. Having a, a robust legal department as well, I think, at the newspaper um, right, right. helped. But then I think there's a thing as well with gossip. And I think it's not just diaries, but you get that with a pop bitch newsletter, you get that with private eye to an extent. Uh, well, no, not to say you get that with a private eye, actually. Especially for politicians, like, it is rarely a good idea to start a war with people who will want to win and who will want to have fun winning. So it's a bit like, yeah, trying to pick a fight with the toddler. And it's like, they don't have a job. They can be here all day. (laughs) Don't do this. (laughs) Uh, Amazing. All right, let's come to your fourth game then, Marie. Um, So this is from 2018. Tell us about this one. I can't remember which one it was. Oh, Hades. I finished Breath of the Wild I basically went through a number of stages of grief because you know because it was incredible and also because I, I really struggled to find another game to replace it with because it's so unique and so unlike every other game and so good that you know everything else I played was just really bad like it kind of felt like you know kind of being dumped or like breaking up with someone who was like a great love of yours and then going on a bunch of first dates, you're like, oh, God, I'm going to be alone forever. Like, this is it for me now. So that lasted for a bit. And then I played Hades. Um, and I think so. A, what helped, to be fair, is that it could not be more different because it, it, it is a roguelike, uh, roguelite, rather, I suppose. Don't upset the nerds too much. Um, it is a roguelite game. So, you know, but, but by definition, you just have to do the same thing again and again and again and again which is exactly the opposite of Breath of the Wild, where you're just in this massive open world and you kind of do whatever you want. But no, I think so. Um, so the story I found incredibly compelling in Hades, because um, you're, for people who haven't played it, so you kind of just wake up, you're thrown into the story, you wake up as Zagoras, son of Hades, you're, in the, you're living in hell and you want to leave hell because actually you think your, your dad's a bully and you're not happy there and you want to reach the surface and you have to fight through worlds and different enemies and bosses to try and get to the surface and every time you die you start back at the beginning but because you know you're immortal because you're the son of Hades so that's fine and that's kind of incorporated into the story the fact that you die but I think the mechanic uh, against people who haven't played that makes it especially interesting is that the only way to get stronger is to die because I think you know the the roguelike and the roguelite uh, that that's not a new video game format at all but usually 
the plot is not influenced by how many times you die, I suppose. So, you know, like Dead Cells, for example, which I really loved as well. You just die and then you just keep going. Whereas, you know, Hades, the only way, so lots of lines of dialogue, the only way you can get to them is by dying and coming back to the underworld, to the bottom of the underworld, um, and talking to that person, then doing another run, dying and starting again. Now, that is literally the only way you can get the story, and the story which is incredibly rich. But um, uh, uh. but no, and, and I got saved. So I think I did 120 hours on Hades. I love how you've remembered all the uh, the hours that you put into each of them. It's great. <laughs> <laughs> it's yeah, my, my 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 brain is a blessing and a curse. But no, so I but yeah, so that's the game. I very nearly did. Uh, I very nearly 100 percented it. Because uh, it's got, uh, and it's not really a spoiler, I think, because there's one ending, then there's a real ending, then there's a secret real, real ending. So yeah, got all three. And also, yeah, so I actually yeah, got to the point where I actually Googled all the different achievements you could get. And yeah, and I think I'd done nearly all of them. So the only ones I'd not done were all the like quite boring, um, you know, the, the stuff that's very grindy, which I, I couldn't be bothered doing. But in terms of the story side of it, I finished every single storyline with every single character. Like I was done. Like I scraped that game to the bone. Yeah. Like it was, it was done. And yeah, no, just yeah, and and also again, because a lot of it is because you do get, so you do have obviously all the Chthonic gods in the underworld, but you've got all the Olympians as well who are kind of like trying to help you on your journey, try to, um, to help you reach the surface and stuff. And as someone who learned a bit of Greek mythology at school um, and just out of general interest when I was younger, it is really fun. Like, it is really fun to see all those characters and interact with them. I think sleep with some of them as well. Like Zagoras is a bit of a slut um, in that game. Um, and, and it's such a, yeah, it's such a weird, su- such a weird thing to be like, oh, hey, it's you. Like, but, but, you know, by you, I mean like an ancient Greek <laughs> god. Uh, my close personal friend <laughs> yeah. so yeah no brilliant uh, and I can't wait obviously the second one uh, is coming out uh, I don't think we have a release date yet but we've had mm-hmm. the first trailer and I cannot wait yeah, cannot it's wait it's going to be good definitely so you, your book uh, let's talk about your book from last year Escape Power Generation Shaped Destroyed and Survived the Internet you write about being I suppose in that first part of the first generation to grow up with the internet which I think I'd just about also qualify for perhaps and you know what do you what do you miss about those early years of being on the internet? What do you think we've lost? Oh, God, I miss so much. Really randomly, I did a panel a couple of days ago um, on video games and the future of gaming and stuff. And I was on that panel with people who deal a lot in metaverse stuff, blockchain, NFTs. You're on a panel with charlatans, you mean? Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I could not possibly comment, obviously, at this stage. But, uh, but what I found, you know, and it was one of those actually why not even... And I'm happy to admit that I'd not done a ton of prep because, again, I was like, I feel like I know what I want to say, right? Mm-hmm. Like, you know, it, it's fine. But actually what I found, you know, because occasionally I think you end up building arguments in your head by saying them. Um, and then that kind of happened with that where, you know, because they were like, oh, but, 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 you know, think about, you know, the future of gaming where you're able to earn money uh, by playing. You're able to kind of, you know, like gain these assets and stuff. And and I sort of slightly snapped and I was like, but wh- why can't gaming just be its own thing? You know, why can't you just... Um, oh good, I can't remember the phrasing now. Playing for its own sake. Yeah, oh, that sorry. Makes sense. Yeah. Complete brain fart. Why can't um, you just play for its own sake? Yes. But you have to capitalize on it. No, no, exactly. What 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 can't gaming just be its own thing like for its own yeah. And and, and then that made me think because there was actually so much of the internet used to be that. So you know, blogging. And again, even my my you know, music website, I did it because I loved it. And obviously I got some free albums and I got some free gig tickets out of it, but that's all I got. You know, I I never got a cent. Like in, in all those years and hours I poured into that, I just got to have a really fun time. 
Um, and I think so much of the internet was doing stuff for their own sake and because you wanted to have a good time. And actually so much of it is just not about that anymore. And actually I think gaming is you know, it's still like a rare oasis where it's very straightforward. You pay money to buy a game and then you play the game and you have a good time. Um, but yes, yeah, so I would say that, that that's kind of probably the overarching sort of narrative like, in terms of what I miss. I miss just having fun for the sake of it, doing stuff for the sake of them. Right, so yeah. be that again, yeah. writing. Not being monetized. All no, the exactly. Time, you and know? not, you know, and not thinking, oh, you know, yeah, if this does well, I could become an influencer or I could get free stuff from that brand or I could, or I could get a profile or I could, etc. You know, like it, it, I, I just really enjoyed that kind of, what I suppose in retrospect was kind of an age of innocence, right? Of just, just saying, hey, you know, I've got this sandbox, this sandpit, and I'm just going to play in it and kind of see what happens. And I think that that is, you know, and I could kind of go more granular and talk about, you know, the million things I, I, I miss from the earlier days of the internet. But I think that that is very much the thing that connects a lot of them. It was just, it was really good to be able to do stuff for their own sake. Yeah, yeah. What was the main website you were hanging out on? Uh, but that's the thing, again, there was not, because everything is so much more decentralized. There was no single website. Um, well, I guess that MySpace changed that. But before that, you know, I, I just had blogs in it. That, that's kind of how I describe them in the book, um, actually, in Escape, where I... So then, yeah, I nearly used to think of all the blogs I read as a bus route. So every day I would come home from school and I would be like, okay, so now, you know, I check this blog and then I check that blog to see which ones had updated because uh, I didn't use the Google Reader stuff. So it was just manually. I was like, okay. And I, I did them all in the same order every single time. So actually, yes. Yeah, so, so again, that's the crucial point of there was no one massive website. There was just blogs. And, you know, and I would look, there's a blog I really liked because every blog had the sidebar with that blogs they'd recommend and occasionally I'd be like, yeah, I, I could do with some new blogs. Um, and then, you know, you'd check them out. And then if you liked one, you added them to your bus route. Yeah. And then oh. there was, and I think that was better times. They were better times, definitely. All right, Mary, we better come to your fifth and your final game, which is from 2019. Do you want to tell us about this one? Oh, God, Slay the Spire. I actually checked and I, I, I know how much you enjoy me telling you exactly how many hours I've put into every single game. Um, so I did check out of curiosity the other day and I have played Say the Spire for 200 hours, which is so, but it's so weird. So I only, I can't remember, because I think I bought it. So I'd actually had a bit of a rotten run of buying, but I think quite a few, luckily most of them were quite indie games. So none of them were incredibly expensive, but I bought like a good source of like three or four games and played a couple of hours and was like, no, actually, I'm just not enjoying this or it's too hard for me and not my kind of game, blah, blah, blah. So like, I was really annoyed. Because um, again, like, it, it does, even if it's games, you know, even if it's not like 50 quid games, it still adds up quite quickly. And, you know, I was a bit annoyed. And I think, I can't remember who I was talking to. I was like, when you slay the spire, super cheap. And it's really just, a, like, it's just kind of a card game. And I sort of bought it originally. This is quite funny in retrospect, obviously. I bought it as a sort of, okay, I can just play this random card game until I find uh, something else I want to play. Jokes on me. I played it for seven months <laughs> and I still cannot really stop playing it. Yeah. But no, so I think, yeah, for people who haven't played, it's, uh, it is, it is kind of like a card game. So it, it is um, roguelike, I suppose, in a way as well, in that you are trying to escape from this dungeon and you've got hallway fights with normal enemies and you've got bosses and so like different, like three different worlds, I suppose. But yeah, but yeah you play with cards. So, you know, some cards are like attacks, some are defense, some are like special powers. 
and you can get potions and you can get relics, um, etc. And it, but, but it is hard. It is a card game. And I think as a result, you never get tired of it. It's it just in the same way that people can just play the same card games throughout their lives. Mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. I think that's quite a similar thing of actually you never quite get bored of card games but also because it has I that think... wonderful like a daily leaderboard as well the daily challenge so you, oh god you can go back yeah. every day and see how you f- comp- compare against everyone else in the world which is such a simple idea but it's so brilliant isn't it it is well i, I try not to shake the leaderboards because I, i'm quite competitive and i'm obviously just that in you know and on a global scale i'm just not very good at slater's fire but but it's also so i think what i like about it is that it keeps you on your toes because I think any game, even Hades by the end, one of the reasons I stopped playing was that I'd got really, really good at it because, you know, you have to fight and learn how to fight and stuff and I was really good at the fighting. We'll say this by and you can even watch, so I watch a lot of videos of people playing because actually it's quite a fun game to watch. Yeah. And even people who've poured like hundreds and hundreds, probably over a thousand hours into it, sometimes you just get really, you know, unlucky and you keep drawing the wrong cards or you keep, you know, you you have a really bad deck or whatever happens or you draw your cards in the wrong order and you just die. And and there's nothing you can do about it. You just die. But again, just like in any game of cards, there's obviously a level of skill, but ultimately it's kind of down to chance. And so that that's definitely kept me going back for more. Um, And then it's very unique as well, I would say, in terms of, yeah, format. But yeah, no, again, I think I I, I picked that one because, again, I played myself quite beautifully by going, eh, I can just buy this and play it for a couple of weeks until, you know, I find a real game to play. Seven months. <laughs> Seven months. <laughs> it, is a, it is a time sink and a wonderful game. Right, Marie, let's, uh, let's look at your console. So we've got uh, Soul Calibur 2, Rayman Legends, Breath of the Wild, Hades and Slay the Spire. Some classic games there. How are you feeling about it? Yeah, no, I'm feeling really good about that. Actually, I think... If we if we ever had to have another lockdown, which I really really hope to God we don't, I feel like if I had those five, like I I could you know I could like if I could so even better if I could somehow get my mind wiped again like Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind yeah. except with video yeah. games, then I would have a great time. Like you would not see me again. The lockdown would end and I'd still be at home. You have a good seven hundred hours or so of content there to get through. Um, okay, we need to give you a console a name so that we can market it to the world. Um, have you got an idea for what we could call this? Oh, I, d- I didn't know I had to prepare a name. You've put me on the spot. <laughs> oh my god, what are we? Oh, what are we calling it? I have no idea. What 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 other what have other people said in the past? Well, we get a lot of um, uh, we get a lot of after the GameCube. Actually, we get a lot of like you know Phil Wang said the Wang Cube, for example, and then oh god, a lot of people like to put in numbers as well. So the something something five thousand. I don't know why that happens because that doesn't really happen in video game <laughs> console namings. But can I nick that idea and call my mine like the ML Cube or something? <laughs> yeah, the ML Cube. Oh yeah, because that's your sort of online handle, isn't it? MLC. Yeah, ML. So yeah, ML Cube. ML Cube. Very nice. That's perfect. Um, well, this has been great. Thank you so much. Just before um, before I let you go, I wanted to ask. So, you know, obviously you told us your amazing story about how you got into uh, journalism and your, your route. I don't know how instructive that's going to be for a young person who might be <laughs> thinking of following in your footsteps. Um, you know, what, what would you say is a is a good way into, into that world? And also, do you think it's a worthwhile pursuit, you know, political journalism? Ooh, well, I think political journalism drives me insane on a weekly basis, but also I really enjoy it more than I think other, other things I would be doing. Uh, but no, I think, so in journalism in general, and I think that probably applies to definitely not every industry, but 
a number of them. So I weirdly, so I'm going to give advice, which I don't remember telling my friend, but who apparently remembered it for years and has been using it as his guiding light uh, since I told him. And I have no memory of ever telling you that, but I'm really happy that's helped you along your journey. But at some point he said he was like, I think the point I was trying to make was saying that networking is just really useful. And he said, he was like, oh yeah, you once told me, no matter how boring a conversation is with some random person over a warm glass of like wine at some like pub gathering or some event, it's never going to be as boring as having to fill in a massive job application because you can't get an interview through other channels. <laughs> it's like, God, that is actually such a wanky piece of advice, but also entirely correct. It is entirely correct. But even, yeah, I, I think, you know, because I don't want to sound like a sort of like LinkedIn post come to life, but yeah. I don't, to be clear, I... It's not like I, I've never done that. And again, it's sort of like slightly like devious, like specifically I'm trying to network so I can get jobs way. But it's more, I think it always helps to just meet as many people as you can and have as many chats as you can. And also kind of, yeah, give everyone the time of day and you, you, you never know where it'll lead, right? And um, yeah, yeah, yeah. and even, and I don't know, maybe that's a French Moroccan thing as well, but I, I do talk to everyone all the time. Like a friend recently was like, I can remember, yeah, something, she made fun of me and the punchline of her thing was saying, you know, RIP Marie, she died as she lived, talking to strangers for some reason. And I was like, oh God, yeah, I suppose that's the thing I do a lot. So yeah, just talk to everyone. Yeah. I think that's just good life advice in general. Yeah, certainly for, for a writer or a journalist, you've got to be interested in people, I think, otherwise... Otherwise, you're not going to get very far, are you? But also, otherwise, why are you there? If you're not curious about the world and about the people who live in it, why would you want to become a writer? Yeah. Oh, that's great. That's great. I was worried that last bit of advice was going to be monstrous, Marie, but you turned it around quite nicely. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, This has been great. Thank you so much for doing it and for telling. uh, I loved hearing you talk about your choices and your story. So thank you. Oh, thanks for having me. Thank you so much to my guest, Marie Leconte, uh, the political journalist and freelance journalist uh, extraordinaire. And uh, what a wonderful story of how a childhood love of video games that was put down in uh, adolescence, perhaps, uh, was then picked up again. And Marie was able to find in video games a bit of refuge, a bit of purpose, Uh, and a bit of community as well and uh, now she is off speaking about her love of video games uh, on the BBC and in all these other places it's uh, it's wonderful Um, if you're interested in reading some of her work that she does away from video games then you can follow her on Twitter at uh, Young Vulgarian that's V-U-L-G-A-R-I-A-N and uh, you will be able to yeah, see what Marie's up to. She's also got a Tumblr at marielecomte.tumblr.com. Old school. I love it. Uh, and uh, yeah, on both of those places, you'll be able to catch up on the things that she's writing and uh, read her, her columns in The Guardian, The New Statesman, the, all, all over the place. You'll be able to find what she's up to. Yeah, that was great. Really, really lovely choices as well. Soul Calibur 2. Haven't uh, haven't had that before on the podcast, but uh, but very very glad to see it. 
The Soul Calibur character that Marie was searching for the name for is of course Talem. Talem, um, I, I'm sure some of you were screaming at whatever device you listened to this on. Uh, apologies for that. And of course, I suggested the character Sophia, who isn't a character in Soul Calibur. I was of course thinking of Safita. Uh, it's been a little while since I played that game. I'm playing Street Fighter 6, so you know, got all of those new names in my head. You can forgive me that. Thank you, as ever, for listening this far into the podcast. Uh, you can follow along with the podcast on Twitter at My Perfect Console with the O's removed, also on Instagram with the O's still in place. But rather excitingly, as uh, I think you will have heard from the uh, ad that I ran before this episode, we launched a Patreon today. Uh, so lots of exciting things that you can get involved in there by becoming a supporter. You'll get uh, information on the guests that are coming up uh, long before other people. You'll have your opportunity to even pitch some questions to those guests that will be made available in bonus episodes. Uh, and you'll get voting rights to vote in the My Perfect Console knockout competition to crown the console of the year. Maybe I'll even try and get the winner of that back on for a special episode uh, and lots of other great stuff. Um, it's also a good way to just support the podcast, help make it a bit more sustainable and uh, keep it going. Uh, really enjoying this. You seem to be too. have lots of lovely messages from you readers. So um, yeah, let's uh, let's just, I don't know, come along to Patreon and get involved. Uh, we'll see how it goes. I've never run one of these before, so I'm not uh, entirely uh, sure how it's all going to go, but we'll figure it out as we go along and it'll be a good ride, I'm sure. If you do want to write to me with any thoughts or feedback or guest suggestions, then you can now do so in the chat room on the My Perfect Console Patreon. That's at patreon.com forward slash My Perfect Console. Or you can just email me. That's at console at gmail.com. Uh, yeah, if you get a spare moment, leave us a review. Leave us a star rating on Spotify or Apple Podcasts or something like that. It does help other people to find the podcast. Got some really exciting guests coming up, lads. Um, yeah, really some good chats in the in the bag that is from you know game developers both in the independent space also in the blockbuster space uh, we've got some comedians coming up we've got some fantastic novelist um we've got some, an academic who has some really interesting views on video games that i'm excited to share with you uh, a comic book writer just some of the people we've got we've got coming up voice actors as well like speaking to voice actors anyway you'll be able to see who some of those people are uh, if you're interested uh, on the patreon i'll stop banging on about it now thank you again for listening i'll be back again next week with one more guest their five games and another perfect console until then goodbye
Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health-monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.